Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Matthew Mitchell. Matthew is co-pastor of New City Church, a church plant in Chesapeake, Virginia. He's married to Hannah, and together they have six children. We had a great time talking about the lectionary text this week. I give you Matthew Mitchell. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, it's a pleasure. You know some people that I like a lot, uh, which is fun when we kind of make those kinds of connections. And you are planting a church, New City Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. That's right. And is your basic competition the Old City Church? That's Yes, that's right. We actually intentionally named it New City Church so that uh, we could kind of undercut them. Did you rent a space across from them? Like, yes, we did actually. Yeah, I like and that. we we have a vinyl sign that we drape over their sign um, and tell the people to come across the street. All things to all people, you know. You can win some, especially some of the old city members, <laughs> right? And you're connected with the V3 movement. That's right. Uh, Jared Woodward and some folks who've who've connected. Dan White and some folks who've connected. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you're and you're and 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 preaching the lectionary. It's kind of a new thing for your church, although you've been a kind of in a formation group where you use the lectionary, right? Yeah, that's right. So I'm friends with some guys that are planning a church in Indianapolis. They're Anglican and just opened up this whole world of lectionary to me. And so um, kind of new to it, but loving it. And so, yeah, digging the podcast for sure. Well, I appreciate you listening. And let's dig into the text. First, we got Genesis 9, 8 through 17. Here we have the kind of here, here, Noah's kind of gone through the ringer. Did you see the Russell Crowe Noah movie? I didn't, no. <sighs> the movie is so fantastic. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I remember I was watching the Fox 5 and the Dana Perino was like, well, I mean, I never remember from the story at the end where Noah gets drunk. I don't remember that from my children's Bible. I'm like, that's because they left it out. The movie was true. Yeah. <laughs> and who wouldn't get drunk? Who? I mean, all the PTSD he must have had from this remarkable, uh, you know, undertaking and endeavor that God brings him on. But here we have this, this he comes in onto the dry land here and God establishes a covenant with him on behalf of humanity because there's really not yet an Israel, right? There's yeah, really yeah. Seven times uh, he says the word covenant, God does in this passage. Um, so I, I, think it, I think it's probably something about covenant. I think that might be important. The number of perfection-ish. Mm, how about right? that? A full week, like a full, you know... So it's it interesting as I was thinking about this. That's, text, interesting. You know, I, that's interesting. I wonder if that is, ex- I haven't thought about that, but I wonder if that is explicit the seven time, because, you know, you have the seven words over creation. So it's clearly a new creation story, right? So, oh, yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Right. So you have the, the decreation, um, like kind of rolling backwards where the earth is now being covered um, and, and the mountaintops are the last to be covered. With the water, and then you have the recapitulation of the seven days of creation, where once again the water recedes and the land comes up on it, and then uh, you know the there's vegetation, and then the bird goes out and doesn't come back, and God's calling forth the animals. Um, but then, like, and then there's this, this repetition of the same kind of language that God used to Adam, but but there's these new things like 
what to do when people kill each other <laughs> and uh, a promise never to to like wipe out the whole earth with with a flood again like just just the contrast between the original creation uh, I mean I, I just can, can you imagine like God creating Adam putting him in the garden and being like hey now if anybody kills anybody or saying hey don't worry I'm not gonna drown everyone with a flood like it's just just a contrast between what was before now what has lost like like we've we've come a long way unfortunately you know in these nine chapters yeah i mean you you could look at like genesis i guess as the like battle between the blessing and the curse yeah and you know it's interesting so i mean one way like you think about this with so if if you're a young earth kind of creationist six thousand year old earth that solves a lot of exegetical problems right because creates many other problems in the modern world. But I, I think if you believe that the earth is, you know, millions of years old and that human beings are, came late on the scene and you have the sense, we know dinosaurs died of debilitating arthritis and things like that. I mean, there are like, so it, it seems like when you look at a text like this and, and okay, w w you know, well now we're kind of east of Eden and dealing with violence and dealing with disease and, you know, and, and then, there's a magnification of that here, you know, like a kind of re-fall story or at least re-emphasizing living in the fall. But I wonder like how we read that, how we read texts like this as modern people. Like what do we... Uh yeah, well, and, and I, think, uh, I think part of the way we do that is we don't try to make the text do things that it isn't trying to do. Uh, you know, what the text isn't trying to do is answer the debate of old earth, young earth. What it's trying to do is tell a story about God interacting with his people. And, um, you know, if, if we will allow the text to be what it is and ask God to speak to us through it, then I, I think um, those other things which can be interesting, you know, I, I think we read them as modern people by realizing that, like, we need to hear the same things that pre-modern people needed to hear, uh, which is that God makes a covenant. And, and it's, it's an unconditional covenant. You know, like one of the commentators was talking about, like, the fact that this covenant is with the animals just illustrates the unconditional nature of this covenant. Because, like, animals don't accept the terms of, of an agreement. They just receive the benefits of it, you know. Um, and here, you know, here you have God making a commitment to do good. And also, interestingly, I, I think perhaps uh, a contrast between what Yahweh is like and what the you know what the tribal gods are like. Um, did did you catch that the word for bow in yeah, Hebrew yeah. as in English is the same word, right, for a rainbow and for bow, a weapon yeah. of war? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, Victor Hamilton said this. He said uh, a common motif in Near Eastern iconography is that of a bow wielding deity. Mm -hmm. It is a symbol of his prowess. With this lethal weapon, he eliminates his foes. But here, in what is nothing less than a radical interpretation of divine power, the bow ceases to function as a symbol of combat and is now a symbol of peace and well-being. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. It's interesting because I, I, have, I have two thoughts. I mean, first, going back to the modern thing, I think that if creation's goodness doesn't lie in its initial perfection, but in its perfectibility. So, wow. Yeah. So th it might be a place where the lion eats the lamb, but it can become a place where the lion and lamb lay down together. And yet somehow human rebellion kind of detours and devolves the process. And so in some ways, like we're, 
there's so I think that change. I mean, I think that opens up some ways of thinking about it. But I think the bow thing is really interesting because first, I mean, a couple of things like just practically, right? Like you don't see rainbows on a on a sunny day, right? Um, you only see the you only see them in the rain. Like like you don't see God's redemption and and the signs of promise uh, when things are hunky dory. You see them usually when the bottom of your humanity gets knocked out, right? When things are not great. And also, you, it's a rain circle, right? But you only see the bow. We only only see part of the story always, you know. But the other thing is interesting is like if if it was pointing the other way, you'd be worried that the bow is gonna like. <laughs> well, maybe it's gonna shoot arrows down. Like it, it's interesting. Uh, Spurgeon uh, t- in a story says, you know, like uh, he's preaching on this text in the nineteenth century or something, and he says, you know, the mis- we learn something of the mystery of God's grace because the bow is hung up and pointed upwards. And because yes, God won't right. judge again, because he'll self-inflict, uh, like he'll bear the judgment. So the bow, when it's finally fired, will be fired um, at himself in and as the person of Christ. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Spurgeon's good, man. And I said, hey, got a man that's quicksand, that's quicksand, that ain't mud. Have you thrown your sounds to the war? Did you lose them in the flood? That pure now let's go on to a, te- a, a text, which is, some people will say, is like one of the most hermeneutically challenging passages in the New Testament. Yeah, First Luther two. himself, who is not known for keeping quiet about stuff, basically said, yeah, I don't know what this means. Uh, he, he said uh, a more obscure passage uh, cannot be found in the New Testament. Yeah, First Peter three eighteen through twenty two. We got Christ suffered sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous in order to bring you to God. That's pretty straight straightforward. Uh, you know, then we got put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit. Then we got Christ it proclaimed to the spirits in prison, and you know we got no references, and uh, and then and then at the end it, it talks about baptism. Uh, so what do you, I mean, this is interesting because it, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, it is wild. I, I mean, I think that the, the point of the text, the overall point of the text is clear, even if the way that Peter supports it is not clear. You know, the, the point of the text is that these Christians are in a pagan environment. Um, you know, they are being persecuted for their faith and they are being urged not to repay evil for evil. Uh, just as Jesus did not repay evil for evil. And if they will do this, they will be vindicated in the end, just as Jesus was vindicated in the end. Um, so that's pretty clear. Uh, but, you know, again, the, the money part is the stuff in the middle. Um, yeah, which is just confusing. Like, you know, what do you do with that? What is Jesus doing on Holy Saturday? That's the, that's the million-dollar question. So, and interesting, as I was reading about this, um, the, the descent into hell view uh, which is, you know, linked to this text, actually came about because people were asking that question and wanted to know what was going on. They also wanted to know how were Old Testament saints saved. And so, like, they first came up with this idea that, oh, Jesus descended into hell. But it wasn't connected to First Peter at all uh, until later when, you know, they kind of needed a proof text for their theology textbook. <laughs> which many, many, many things happen that way, right? Yeah. Uh, right. That's right. great. I mean, this is great about text. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, the, the, I mean, the kind of traditional Roman Catholic and Orthodox view is that Jesus is victorious 
in Hades preaching to the spirits in prison. So you have, you think of sort of like the text of with the rich man and Lazarus and Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham, right? Jesus' parable and the rich man is separated, but they're in Hades. I mean, in the realm of the dead, one, one's in a good spot, one's in a bad spot. And this idea that, you know, he's preaching liberation of the captives it's funny because I think the Eastern Orthodox on Holy Saturday, like in part of liturgy, spit on the floor and stomp because it's like we're stomping on the devil just like Jesus did. So, it, so if you've we got bring that back, yeah, exactly. So if you've got that view, right, you're sort of basically folding Holy Saturday into Easter. Mm. Now, John Calvin and Karl Barth do something more like, well, it's really just uh, the cross is the descent, the suffering, and so they kind of. I mean, they they think it's kind of mythological to, to, and they kind of actually fold Holy Saturday into Good Friday. Yeah, well, you know, the the language of descent is found in uh, in in the creed, but it's not actually found in this text. It just says, you know, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, and so um, you know, the the view that that a lot of commentators are taking now, you know, are I don't know about now, but uh, that this is Jesus' proclamation of victory to to the spirits, uh, you know, the the, the disobedient spirits, and that uh, e- even the proclamation itself is his resurrection from the dead and his ascension. That all that needs to be said to the spirit realm is said in in the cross and and the vindication, which you know is is what Peter picks up on, you know, in, in verse twenty two. Uh, just, just think about you know Colossians where it says uh, you know the, through the cross he has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them by the cross. So you know notice has been served to to the the powers and, and the principalities that uh, you know Jesus has been vindicated. Uh, this is the way that you know that this is the way that life is found. Not by repaying evil for evil, not by crushing one's opponents uh, in a bloody, violent victory, but uh, by taking all they can throw at you and triumphing over them with with blessing. Now, whether they'll receive it or not, you know, is is the question. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. So, like, if you think of like the traditional views, like Christ the conquering King, or Calvin and Barth's views, Christ the suffering servant, it seems like von Balthasar looks at this is Christ the God forsaken and that this really is a descent into hell and that mm. that he dies the death in God forsakenness and that this word that's proclaimed is this a word that is the eternal son you know united to this condemned human corpse that assumes the fullness of the curse on our behalf and that you have this kind of it's funny because von Balthasar, von Balthasar said you know the only person we can be sure assured is in hell was Jesus because hell is like, it's only by Jesus death and God abandonment that there is, if there is a hell, it's not Sheol here that this is the death and God abandonment. And that that's why Jesus he thinks is the Lord over even hell because it's his sort of experiencing God forsaken. It's even creates the possibility to imagine the death and God abandonment. Mm, He's been submerged into the waters. Yeah. Uh, Yes, to to grab the hands of those drowning under the flood and and bring them up. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, there's a lot there. When time comes around, lay me gently in the cold dark earth. No grave can hold my body down. I'll crawl home to her. Boys, when my baby found me, I was and let's, speaking of Jesus... 
Let's move nice on. Nice transition the, there. Let's move into the gospel. I, this Mark one is great, right? This is, you know, this is this part where after Jesus, uh, you know, and all the synoptics after Jesus' baptism, uh, he goes into the wilderness. And here we get in Mark, you know, we hear the, that Jesus is the beloved. It's funny in the transfiguration, which is last week's text, it says, here's my son, listen to him. Mm. Here it's with whom I'm well pleased. Yeah, well, you know, it, it says uh, that Jesus is the one who saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit depend, uh, de- descending on him like a dove. And so the thought is perhaps this was something for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. And, and even the, the, you know, the voice that comes from heaven says, you are my son whom I, you know, I, I wonder, is this something that Jesus is witnessing or is it, you know, is this something that, that is available to, to the senses yeah, of those that are yeah, there. Right, right. Maybe, yeah, maybe this is opaque for everybody but Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, that, that language, I mean, he, it's definitely, this is a father-son, like, this is like father-son talk right here. Like, if, if you want to know how to talk to your son or, or your child, you know, like, you're my son and my love. And you have, I mean, it's really, again, there's so many creation images here, right? Like, and, and for, there's recreation in the Genesis text here. It's, it's you know, the spirit hovering over yes. the water. Yes, yes, creation yes. Word. I mean, it's a kind of picture of like Trinitarian creation here. Yeah, and, and so, right. And so the spirit is hovering uh, not just over the waters, but over the human one, uh, which is telling us that all of humanity now, like all things that, that belong to the human realm are about to be re- redeemed. And, you know, in, in the same way that in Genesis 1, all that prevented human life from walking on the earth is, is pushed back, right? The, the, the waters are, are receded so that man has a place to walk around and there's vegetation. You know what I mean? Uh, all that prevented life on earth is pushed back. And now here, all that prevents men and women from living in the love and the redemption of God is now about to be pushed back through the human one who is going to bring about recreation for, for his brothers and sisters. Yeah. And it's interesting, both Adam and Eve and Israel like are driven into the wilderness, right? Like, uh, you know, east of Eden, east of the garden, and then out of Egypt. And it's funny, Adam and Eve, uh, are are forced to go into the wilderness because of their disobedience. Israel is liberated and then wandering in the wilderness. So it's like it's interesting because here you have Jesus saying no in the desert to everything Adam and Eve said yes to in the garden. And also he is in the 40 day period, you know, like Israel's in the wilderness for 40 years since it comes. He is in the wilderness and is faithful. Yeah, right. It, all that he says no to in the wilderness, it comes after he has said yes to to the Father's sending of him. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, the the Spirit sent him, but you know, but Jesus is. I mean, he came to do the will of, of the Father. So there's no, you know, there's no casting out. There's no there's no coercion here. There is just cooperation, and uh, you know, Jesus is willingly doing you know doing what the Father has sent him to do. Yeah, it's interesting because the wild beast, like he's he's there. I mean, the wild. So there's the sense in which he's not at enmity with the wild beast. It seems. Then also, the wild beasts are metaphors for the nation, for mm. the Gentile nations, right? Like the. It's funny because the 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 animals that are unclean are generally animals you can't domesticate, right? And so the, the so they tend to be you know the 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 pictures of the pagan nations. Whereas you know you the sheep the, the animals you can herd Israel eats those. And the idea is you know you are what you eat Israel. 
is to become like the domesticated herd mm. that can be shepherded. Um, you know, you can't shepherd lions and other things, coyotes, you know, wolves and things. But sure. you, you have this sense in which, you know, the the, the, the animals that you, you want to be like are these, the, the ones you can sacrifice and the, the ones that can be domesticated. But here, Jesus is not at enmity with the wild animals and the angels. Yeah, he, he, is at, he is at enmity with, uh, with Caesar, though. And Satan. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Caesar right. Caesar and Satan. Well, you know, really, aren't those two sides of the same coin? You know, uh, Caesar is, is the human face. He represents the— Depends the, on who the, your Caesar is. Here, yeah, probably. <laughs> if it's Marcus Aurelius, maybe it's not a spare. But. but, you know, the the demonic realm representing kind of the, the puppet master, uh, you know, behind all the uh, power power centers that Jesus has come to—, to um, to, to confront. Have, have you read this, uh, this book by Ched Myers called Binding the Strong Man? It's a, years uh, ago, years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he, he casts a lot of this as, uh, you know, Jesus is coming to confront, uh, and oppose empire and, uh, which, which he, you know, he, he defines empire is basically the, the control of power and resources by those at the center uh, to the detriment and oppression of those at, at the periphery. And so the, the whole system in empire is that you, the closer you can get to the center, the more power and more yeah. influence you can have. Um, and Jesus actually is coming and saying, uh, no, no, we're not doing that. Like, that's not actually the way that uh, humans are to flourish. I'm going to offer you an entirely new way, um, you know, the, the kingdom of God has come near, like. Enter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. It's the upside down kingdom. And the other thing that's interesting, you know, Jay Gresham Machem at the end of his life, I, I think he sent a telegram to I forget who it was, another kind of reformed theologian or something. He said it just said active obedience of Christ can't live without it. And see, it's interesting in the Peter text we see the passive obedience of Christ with the tradition calls like he's sort of succumbing to the, it's the passion. You know, but here, it, but Jesus does, doesn't just die the death we should have died. He lives the life we should have lived. Yes. And so he's yes. sort of like it, it, uh, the, the in union with Christ, um, it, it, we we re- we receive the benefits of both. And here you see, I think, the beginnings of that emer- emerging from the baptism. And then, you know, he preaches, he co- emerges from the wilderness, proclaiming the kingdom. I've said this a few times this podcast that I think it's so interesting, the contrast between John the Baptist, who says the kingdom is... Not yet, but soon. And Jesus changes it to already not yet. Yeah. It's here, and yet we're still on the way. Yeah, well, and I think that's important because, um, you know, it's not just that Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live so that we can reap the benefits at the end or something like that. No, he actually opens up the way to truly being human. Yeah, Um, yeah. And so so that, you know, uh, discipleship isn't just like um, knowing that Jesus has done everything that I should do, but never will be able to do. No, it's 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 being united with Him and learning from Him, from being with Him, how to live in this new way, um, so that we are increasingly able to be the kind of person that that Jesus would be. I, I think, and I'm going to misquote this, but I, I think um, Dallas Willard said, you know, basically the the point of discipleship is that you would become the kind of person that Jesus would be if He was you. With your personality, with your quirks and kind of all this kind of stuff. That would not be um, a compelling Jesus in my in my in my <laughs> Yeah, well no, you think about this like I just Luther's hymn, Mighty Fortune. The spirit and the gifts are ours. Mm. You know, the bestowal of the spirit and the gifts. Um that 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 part of the reason he ascends is that the the spirit can 
be present in that spirit that is 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 uh, the resurrected spirit of life. Yeah, right. The the kingdom of God has come near, not so that you can jump in it right when you die, but so that you you actually can step into this like right now. You, I mean, it it's here. It's it's in your midst. It's it's available to you. Um, just turn from turn from the other things. Turn turn yeah. from empire. And the kingdom uh, and and the king are, are synonymous. The kingdom is is it's, he's the audio basilia. He's the mm, the king is the kingdom. Mm, that's good, Matt. Thanks for doing this with me. I'll yeah, have you back on. Me. And uh, blessings in your preaching. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or Pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Matthew for coming on the podcast. Please pray for his work in Chesapeake, Virginia. And thank you for listening. Once again, it's an axis. Until next time, friends, fare thee well. <laughs>